Hello and welcome to Brave Hearts Rising, a podcast dedicated to the empaths, deep feelers and dreamers of the world. I'm your host Lisa Pascoe and in these episodes we explore what it takes to create a wholehearted life, one where you thrive from the inside out. Here we value diversity, compassion, creativity and kindness because we know that the world is a brighter, more fun place to be when you are free to show up as who you truly are, not just who the world wants you to be. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get on to today's episode. Hello and welcome to season three, episode eight of the Brave Hearts Rising podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Pascoe, and I am so pleased you are here today. Before I introduce today's fabulous guest, I wanted to let you know that I have just created a free mini autumn journaling workbook to help you press pause and create some space for gratitude and magic. This workbook will help you create some space for connection, reflection and setting some intentions for the darker months ahead. If you would like to receive a copy of this journaling workbook, the link is in the show notes to sign up. And for those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, I am working on something for you too, as I appreciate you are now entering spring. So without further ado, let's get to today's interview. Today I'm talking to the fabulous Anna Snare. They are an artist, educator and certified coach working as a bridge between art, nature, self-development and business. Eleanor is passionate about the power of art for change. And in this rich conversation, we explore what is leadership, nature as a teacher, navigating toxic situations as intuitive sensitives, and we also talk about, you know, using jealousy as a compass and just caring a lot less about what other people think. I hope you enjoy this episode. I had so much fun having this conversation with Eleanor. So get comfortable and enjoy. So hello and welcome, Eleanor. I'm so excited to speak to you today. Hi, Lisa. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be a really good conversation. So for the listeners, Eleanor and I actually only got to know each other quite recently um, via LinkedIn of all places and just kind of hit it off through our love of nature and wanting to have like a different vision for leadership and creating change in the world, particularly as empaths and kind of gentle, sensitive souls and going, there has to be another way. And so that's where we're going to start talking today. Um, For people who don't know you, Eleanor, who are you? What do you do? Wow, just a nice easy one to start with. <laughs> yes. who, who are you? I was um, once asked, like, why are you here in the world? So, hey, that's, I mean, I like that one. I feel like okay. I can answer that more. Okay. Than, like, who are you? But that's probably a conversation for another time, slash my therapist. So, my name's Eleanor, and I describe myself as an artist and educator, first and foremost. And I see that what I do is, bring different worlds together particularly the worlds of art and business and I use my skills as an educator to help do that so I do have some um, sort of I guess formal educational experience in that I'm a senior lecturer um, in art school here in Leeds which is awesome I love it Um, and then I just have always from a young age kind of been a teacher of things, a guide, a knowledge facilitator. And art has been embedded through my life again from a very, very young age. I studied 
um, design and applied arts at university, went on to do history of art, art foundation, all the art stuff. And when I left university and went into kind of the corporate world, I ended up working in marketing like so many artsy, fartsy people do because you want to get a job, but there's not a lot of jobs for kind of just artists. Um, and ended up developing a lot of um, strategic communication skills, building on what I already uh, had had learned as a younger person and my business kind of coalesced sometimes I like to say crystallized and kind of formed around this idea that actually rather than having all of these things separate I could bring them together and I could act as a bridge between these different worlds of education of art and business because there's a lot that they can learn from each other but they often kind of sit in these very separate camps we talk about you know left brain right brain and kind of logical intuitive or creative rational or whatever and actually the most important bit is that they're in one person or they're in one project and that you join the strands together so that's what i do who am i apart from that i'm also an aquarius <laughs> i was like saying that and as you mentioned at the beginning lisa i'm a nature lover I think I would describe, I've never really thought to describe myself as an empath because um, I just, it's not really a, a, a name that maybe resonates with me, but definitely intuitive, sensitive, creative individual. And I live in Leeds, as I said before, and I love any creative activity I can get my hands on. I will have a go. Um, and so our house is littered with projects of various different degrees of watercolors and ceramics and dressmaking and beading and all different sorts of things which I love so yeah that's I think that's me I don't know if I've missed anything out I feel desperately like I've missed something really important out but I'll remember it in about 10 minutes I'm sure that's fine <laughs> I think that's loads that's, that's a great taster it's interesting though so what tell me about by the word empath what do you what I'm, and I'm not saying that you are or you aren't an empath, by the way. Like, what do you imagine when you hear that word? And what doesn't resonate for you? I think I've, I've described myself as highly empathic. But I think one of the reasons that, about it, and this is something that I was thinking about actually yesterday, was that a lot of my empathic skills were created from quite traumatic situations like a lot of empathic people so mm -hmm. family or relationship trauma where you had to to survive you had to pick up on mm -hmm. kind of how everyone was feeling and so for a long time I really felt like that intuition that sensitivity was almost like um it's like a raw wound like when you touch it it really hurts mm -hmm. because it's just it was so present in my life and I had to, I felt like I had to do it just to get to survive. Um, so I've never really kind of sat with that label because the skill of it perhaps, or the talent of it came from maybe not a very positive place. And it's only kind of in the last maybe year to three years in terms of my spiritual development that I've been more comfortable seeing that as a positive skill and not something that is reactionary, you know? So not, oh, I'm in an environment and everything's really intense. Actually, I can go into an environment and choose whether or not to kind of pick up on and act on 
the the vibes that I'm I'm getting from people. But it's just something that I think is kind of interlaced with so much kind of bad shit really that it can be difficult to like extricate the this is a great skill when actually mm-hmm. some of those you know there are a lot of people in the world who are trying to learn to be emotionally intelligent are coming from a place that's you know incredibly nourished and um, well resourced and you know they've had quite a nice time and a lot of the people who are the most empathic and sensitive and intuitive and emotionally intelligent have actually had a terrible time and they've mm-hmm. had to learn those skills to get by. So mm-hmm. there's a kind of a double-edged sword, I would say there for me. Yeah, it's really, it's just really interesting that you say that because that was something that came up yesterday. But yeah, when I was reading a post on Facebook, I was just bringing it up to remind me, um, I think there is there, there there's so much nuance in this uh, so I'm really exci- excited glad <laughs> that we're talking about it because I think it's re- you know it's quite easy to become quite binary or quite black and white when we're thinking about top top terms like empath highly highly sensitive that ability of being an empath picking up on on different things going on but then there is that kind of um I don't know if it's like codependency or there are other kind of behaviors that you end up having to learn to navigate toxic situations that mean you're you can almost feel like you're on eggshells because you're constantly trying to risk assess and manage what's going on in the room around you and and I guess the nuance comes in in that they can be interlaced and one might exaggerate the other in terms of how you feel on the inside again I'm not an expert on this risk the that that idea of risk assessment like constant risk assessment that mm-hmm. really resonates with me and yeah. that's where you know i grew up in a family where emotions were very difficult for my pe- like many people my parents found it very very difficult to express their emotion but they're both highly emotional people so there was almost like this block in them and then when the block was removed, it was this huge flood of emotion. And so you would never know when that was kind of coming out. And because of that, that's the development of the, the sensitivity around it. And my sister and I, we both um, learned diff- very different coping mechanisms to deal with that. So I wouldn't necessarily, she probably wouldn't say that she's very empathic, but she's really, really good at creating a positive situation in the first place. Mm-hmm. So all of her life, what a lot of her work has been around hosting and the service industry, because she just helps people feel happy. Whereas I navigate the, 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 the challenge and kind of mm-hmm. calm the situation down. Both of those have totally come out of the family situation. But yeah, you're right, that, that risk assessment. And, and for me as well, that kind of, you know, sometimes it's not very nice to kind of know what someone is thinking or that they need to say something before they say it because it can feel you know with my partner sometimes he said you can tell that I'm feeling something before I'm conscious of it and that's that's quite invasive um and there's a lot of kind of learning to balance that and learning not to just interrupt and kind of over like try and over help someone to get to an emotion um it, and I think that you're right it's that interlacing of there are so many amazing things that come with it, but there's a lot of very, very tricky behaviours that you have to unlearn or, or navigate yeah. as, a, as a healthy adult. 
hundred percent. It's almost like having to untangle and unravel all the different bits. Although what I'm seeing is a layer cake. It's like you might have your empathy kind of at the bottom and then all this other kind of stuff has just been placed on top of it. Yeah. Um, and I think for people who grew up with addicts as well or people who were like narcissistic parents, narcissistic siblings. Yeah, it, it, um, yeah it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And that can be really carried on through into your adulthood. Um, but I'm glad we spoke about that because I imagine there'll be people listening for whom that will resonate. Um, because I, I, you know, the reason I'm so passionate about mental health as a topic is because I know for those of us who, who identify as as intuitive, sensitive, empathic, the likelihood is we will have experienced probably more mental health issues or more challenges managing mental health because the world just wasn't, wasn't built for us. Like the artificial world, like the artificial lighting, all of it just goes completely against our natural kind of needs. And I guess that's probably why both of us um, really love to look at nature mm. as a teacher and a guide as another lesson because it's kind of, it's got its integrity <laughs> when yeah. left alone by humans. Nature does its thing. It has that kind of imprint in seeds, and it just it blooms when it blooms. It takes as long as it needs, and there is no kind of comparison in the sense of like an oak tree does the oak tree thing, and a willow tree will do its thing, and the rose will do its thing, and it's all perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when did you start really getting interested in looking at like nature as a teacher? Oh, that's a good question. I think. I've had a really close connection to nature all my life. I grew up in a tiny village and our house was kind of in the, in the middle of a field. And so we were, nature was kind of all around me. And yeah, it was, there was a lot of farmland, but we had a, a very nice garden that kind of, we were, we were allowed to kind of roam quite free. And so it's always been something that's just been a very present kind of part of my life. But in terms of having a strong relationship to it, which I think is when then you start to see it as a teacher, because otherwise it just is this abstract, like, um, like uh, sort of backdrop. Yeah. An experience. I really, I think it was when I first got an allotment. So um, oh, when was that now? That feels like ages ago. It was years ago now. And I had it for about two and a half years. Um, until the kind of geography I, I moved and things changed. But taking a piece of land and which was just so overgrown and, you know, like eight foot high weeds and everything and turning it into a really fruitful kind of abundant little plot without much apart from just graft and you know with the I've, I've, with my vegetables like I don't feed them extra I never um you know never, I'm not everyone's like feed your tomatoes with this special feed I'm like I just don't I just you know if they're gonna grow let's see how they get on so I've never kind of artificially produced anything but when I had that allotment it was I had to just slow down and my expect mainly my expectations had to slow down because you can't make you can't make a radish grow any quicker you know you can't make the potatoes be ready you can't if they get potato blight they get it there's nothing you can do you have to burn them you can't use that soil again like 
it just for it kind of forces you into this rhythm it's quite like um sort of adamant in a way it's like this is the way i'm doing it and there's nothing that you can do to to speed this up of course there are growing methods that do that but again they're commercial you know they're these big as you said the artificial the man-made world so when i had an allotment it just taught me i sort of it wasn't even like I went, oh, I'm being taught. It was, I just realized that my expectations had slowed down and my pace of life had changed to be a bit more kind of a, of a mirror of what was happening on the allotment and just conscious of that. Saying that, it then has taken me various years to kind of like completely mess that up and go hugely against that and then back to it. But I think that was really when as an adult, it became really apparent to me that there was a kind of different um, rhythm to live by that could actually be really fruitful rather than thinking there was only this one rhythm and that was the thing you had to do to be productive with this very linear um, kind of capitalist paradigm. There was actually another way but it took, it literally took me planting seeds and sort of sitting and checking and watering them for months and months and months to realize that. So yeah, when I had my allotment was the, I think a big turning point for me. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. And so tell me about your vision for leadership. Ooh. Cause wow. I know this is something you've increasingly been talking about yeah. recently. You've got, a audio course coming out around art and leadership and nature so yeah what is your vision so we've got matching hats <laughs> and like you know the one where you have a big flag on a tour so one of the things i think is really important about it talking about it in a visual sense like seeing in my mind's eye is that it doesn't look like we think leadership looks and Part of it, I think, is almost hard to describe because for me, leadership is, you know, what you see in the mirror. And for quite a while, leadership, if, some, if, if you Googled leadership, you know, certain things would come up. Normally, probably a white middle-aged man in a pinstripe suit and, or someone at a podium. And actually, that, vis that kind of um, visual kind of archetype of leadership is not right because leadership comes from within. And so for me, the, the first aspect of the vision of leadership is that it is in the mirror. You know, we have this capacity, every single one of us to lead. We don't need to lead thousands and thousands of people. We can lead ourselves and we can lead our family. And like, that's a great start. So it's, it's very kind of, it is you, it's within you and it looks like you. But also that it is, I think I have, I've heard the term and I've been looking at the term servant leadership, but I'm not aware enough of its definition to be able to use it confidently. But I am attracted to that in terms of, I believe it's a, a service, an act of service, including serving yourself, you know, not just kind of giving in a martyr, but actually serving everyone, including you. But I think, the biggest one for me is that it is more creative than 
it, our current leadership. A lot of our current leadership is, is actually managers. Mm -hmm. So it's people who have a resource, whether that is a team or a pot of money or a country, and they just manage it. So they just make sure that this goes to that place and that gets there and it's all just divvied up and organized and like spreadsheet stuff. That's not, for me, that's not leadership. That's not creating. So I'm very kind of much of the mind that a vision for leadership is one of an act of creation of bringing something into the world that isn't currently in the world. So that might mean a new policy, a new baby, a new artwork, a new program, but actually generating something from nothing to kind of move people forward rather than only divvying up what is already here because that is a real skill in itself but it's not a, that's not what leadership is for me mm -hmm. that's that's kind of um managership or whatever you want to call it we need i need those i need those people i'm terrible at that we need those people but it's it's more than that it's kind of almost like um the gift you give it's like, what are you bringing into this equation rather than just moving the numbers and the letters about? Mm -hmm. And I think because of that connection to creation, it is rooted in nature because that's the, that's the ultimate kind of teacher around that is here is how to, here is how to bring something from nothing. Here is how to kind of grow a tree up through a crack in a pavement. So there's a real kind of um, also almost like um, thinking of it visually, it's almost like, you know, nature is this picture book that we sort of look through and say, here are some great examples of acts of creation mm -hmm. and acts of leadership that we could then kind of mirror in a different way or echo in a different way. That sounds quite abstract and I think it is quite abstract, but it's kind of that's the point of like co-creation is you you know i don't think there's a way for me to say this is what leaders are no most like i know it's like what i think i'm saying is here's what here's where leaders come from yeah and i think that's key though as well that i think you know as humans we are meaning making machines and we we like to have boxes we do it makes us feel yeah. comfortable that's where the unlearning comes in and I, I don't know I was thinking about this the other day and I, it almost feels like the 21st century like one of the key words will be kind of this unlearning increasingly people are talking about it because just all of the conditioning all of the things have kind of led us to where we are mm -hmm. it's clear it's not working I'm fairly confident that everyone listening to this podcast will agree, agree things aren't working as they are we are not all healthy and happy and thriving. You know, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of unemployment. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And a lot of people just um, are not in a great place. The world doesn't feel like it's in a great place. So change needs to happen. And it's why I'm, I'm passionate about Brave Hearts Rising. Because it, for me, the call to action is to create space for yourself in your life so that you can kind of, shine in your own way it's why i have the lighthouse it's that sense of you shine your light out there and then yeah people will pick up what they pick up and what will resonate will resonate and then they can leave the rest but it's like when i shine when you shine for want of a better term because i think the word shine can be a bit you know <laughs> like shine bright like a diamond although i do love rihanna um yeah 
but it's that kind of like when you allow yourself happiness or you allow yourself just to be you other people feel like they have permission to do it too i don't know what it is about permission but people feel like they need it all the time and um, quite often not everyone yeah, absolutely. I know. <laughs> like in, in terms of like thinking about teaching with my students permission is absolutely what's happening all the time when they ask me or oh, what should i do or what do i do next or is this okay they know, like i say to them i think it infuriates them but they i say you know the answer yeah and what you what you want from me is for me to kind of affirm you which I will do, but I will kind of gradually remove that like affirmation blanket because it's about standing on your own two feet and generating that permissiveness within yourself. Mm -hmm. It's hard, very, very hard. And especially if you've been taught that you have to ask for everything. Yeah, exactly. And the kind of that, the, the point that I was making with all of that, with the unlearning is it's, you can talk about what you're saying as being abstract, but actually we need to move away from formulae and um, yeah, cookie cutter answers. And like, if you just do steps one, two, three, and four, then you will get X because it just doesn't work like that. Um, and that's neat. Nature teaches us that. So it's, you can, I, I like the picture book example because you can have one page as like the apple tree and you can see how from a seed, like the tree grows and then at a certain time of the year, the apples come out and then they drop and then we make the pie <laughs> and then the cycle goes round and it goes round. And that's, that's the kind of the nature of things that expansion and contraction is, is, is a really important thing to remember I think yeah. as humans because we can get really freaked out when things contract we get freaked out by things like death which mm -hmm. is normal to get freaked out by death but um well it is normal for many societies some societies deal with it better I think than others and are much more ready to embrace it but for a lot of us it feels scary and so I feel like we sometimes we embrace the exciting parts of nature cycles, but then maybe we're a bit more avoidant or we kind of move away from the kind of the letting go and the death cycles. Yeah. And there's, yeah, it's interesting about the kind of templatey cookie cutter approach because it's just, um, you know, if you are a systems thinker, which nature kind of teaches you, a little bit about how to think um, ecologically let's say so in an ecology yeah. or in a system you realize that there is no cookie cutter because at every single moment if you change one component everything else changes everything else is influenced and affected but that i think part of that kind of template approach is two things one we want life to be easier than it actually is like we want it to be suffering free and you know we all know that well students of buddhism and those of us who are interested in that sort of thing are like life is suffering like it's okay and actually that can be a really positive thing to accept so we want life to be easy but also second of all i think we're waiting we want to do well i'll do steps a b and c because once i've done them i'll get all the good stuff and i've been like this in the past a lot is you know i'm so in a rush to get to the result that I just want to do everything really quickly um, and end up kind of not really being that enamored with what I create. You know, I've had some really amazing parts of my life where I've had these like five year goals and I kind of achieved them in a year. And I was like, oh, actually, I've not, I'm not happy. 
And I think we're in a rush to get to the result, forgetting that the A, the B and the C is actually life. <laughs> That's actually the experience, you know. Mm-hmm. If people, if anyone is listening, you know, sort of people who kind of, if you run your own business or freelancing, it's a lot of all, I just want to set up all my marketing so it's really easy and like passive income and like all that stuff. But actually that's the, that's, that can be the fun bit Mm -hmm. talking about what you love and sharing these ideas and connecting with people. But if we, and I've done this, I've treated it like a chore and then it is a chore. Whereas if you treat it like the kind of, this is the, this is it, (laughs) this thing I'm doing right now, this is it. I think your perception of it becomes you you are more in that moment of is this enjoyable I think what I would say to that I think there were some key safety pieces in here there weren't there safety and fear intertwined in the sense that you're vulnerable when you're talking about what you're doing you can feel vulnerable because it's the rejection piece and so many of us just fear rejection yeah and like what will people think and I know a lot of it's brain drama because your your ego doesn't really want you to properly succeed in the sense of like pushing out your comfort zone, stretching your comfort zone and really being that visible because bad things might happen. Um, So I guess my question around this is like, how do you move from that place of feeling kind of fear, um, worrying about rejection when you're sharing because even if you don't have a business like it could just be like sharing your hopes and your dreams with your friends you know it could be anything like sharing your like some yeah some story you've written or if you want to start poetry or something Mm -hmm. how do you go from that feeling of like fear and vulnerability into actual enjoyment yeah I can give my example of poetry because that's the thing that um in 2018 I started a poetry practice and in the space of like a year or two 18 months I was like from went from never doing it before to kind of like being on stage in front of 200 people or whatever I was terrified it was the journey was quite extraordinary but there's a lot of terror and excitement in there and the way I did it was I just started really really small so the first time I wrote a poem I found someone who I a friend of mine who I knew would be very very um kind but also kind of creatively critical let's say mm-hmm. and I just read it to her and then I read it like out loud to like two other people. And then I did like a small open mic of like 15 people and then just tiny, tiny steps. Then people maybe get overwhelmed feeling like they have to go from, you know, I've never told anyone my dream to I've written a book and now everybody knows. It's that tiny, those tiny, tiny steps. And also there's a bit of people aren't, this sounds awful, but people are not going to get it. There are going to be people in your life who are just not going to get what you do or why you do it. And that will be, that will feel disappointing and painful. That doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong. It means that those people aren't there with you yet. And that's a kind of, I think that's a bit of a, in terms of thinking about it in an artistic way, that's a bit of allowing yourself to be the kind of weirdo the artist the kind of I've described it as the witch on the edge of the village the other day my goodness yeah (laughs) right so that kind of like the outsider because it's not that those people won't understand it it's that they might they probably don't understand it right now 
people yeah. might understand it in the future but you've still got to be that person and that role is so important in society if you want to think of an example close to home it's like the auntie or the uncle or that family friend who was like the one who let you stay up late like always let you watch films that were too old for you was like naughty and like you know, <laughs> I don't know bought your first drink all the stuff that's like yeah. the naughty stuff that's that role mm. and we need those people because otherwise that we don't have innovation we don't have change and and we don't have a kind of we don't move yeah so there's a there's kind of a mix of starting really small but also letting yourself kind of leaning into that role of do you know what people are going to think this is weird and I'm kind of okay with that because okay. they'll get there when they get there that's I'm not you know I'm summarizing you know 30 years <laughs> worth of <laughs> personal growth but that's been a really difficult journey for me my fear of being misunderstood yeah is actually um you know you said there about kind of fear of being vulnerable and things like that my fear has always been very clearly about being misunderstood and I felt that you know basically since I was born all through my childhood at school and it's only when I've let myself almost be like well I probably be, will be misunderstood and kind of accepting that that fear is actually probably going to be there's going to be some aspect of that in reality but that's okay because I have a partner, a family, friends, business connections who do understand me. So it's kind of like you've got to, let, it's almost like you've got to let yourself feel that fear and know that it, it might happen. But it's probably not going to be as bad. It's definitely not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. And in fact, whatever it is that you're worried about, oh, I'm worried, you know. People are going to think I'm too, uh, you know, I paint things that are too outrageous or um, I've got this course that's completely bonkers. That'll probably be the very thing that people want, that people love about you, that it is completely air or it is completely like outrageous or sexy or strange or never heard of before. That's what they'll love. So it's kind of, you've got to let, that sh that light shine out even though it's probably going to be too bright for some people mm -hmm. yeah i love that you said witch on the edge of the village because i always like to think of myself as the wise or the wise old woman on the edge of the vi village but kind of the person people come to 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 pause and rest and just reset i think i'd like to be the grandma probably because i miss my own grandma and that feeling of you know when you were a kid and you just have that place and you don't have to worry about anything well for me I, that was my grandma like in my head i have this fantasy yeah. place where you can go in like to a cottage in nature and just eat apple pie and light candles and read some books that's all I want in life. I just want apple pie and candles like, and some walks. <laughs> I think giving, you know, I've worked with people before where one of the exercises we do with some of my clients is just like give yourself a job title and yeah. you can give yourself any job title you want. And they're like, what, really? Anything? And you're like, yeah, no, no one's going to stop you. <laughs> but sometimes from a kind of conceptual or psychological perspective to fight some of those fears, is to say, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to have that identity. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, the witch on the edge of the village is a really important one 
both in terms of like um, anti-capitalist, anti-patriarchy, ancestry and legacy, but also in the kind of complexity of healing, in the psychology that's involved, the magic, the connection to nature, but also that kind of slightly outside and you can see things differently. So sometimes almost like thinking of a name for yourself, a job title that's maybe a bit more esoteric, um the grandma the healer the aunt you know i think those can be really really positive in helping us kind of like um generate that self you know mm -hmm. that individual self that's like i'm going to come to the fore now and i'm i'm confident and I'm, i can kind of keep this together for you mm -hmm. but, i mean your apple pie my nana used to make like towards the end of my nana's life we kind of set went our separate ways really emotionally um because she just really wasn't very happy and i think you'll know what i mean when when someone really is ready to go but they they aren't going but she all her life made these amazing apple pies and they were just like so buttery and flaky and the apples were always from her garden and like I would give anything to have one of those right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm never going to have that again. And I think that's a real, of all the other stuff that went on and that with her, that taste and that kind of symbol, I just think it, it really touches me when I think mm. about that. I'm not going to cry, but it's quite, you know, it's quite touching. Yeah. These hold really strong memories for us, these things. I know what I was going to say as well. Um, it's just because I think growing up, I was so desperate to be part of the cool club that I didn't ever actually want to be part of. But there was that idea of wanting to be part of the cool club. And I think increasingly, and I know you work with tarot cards. Now, I'm not a tarot expert, but increasingly I've like pulled maybe like the hermit card and that kind of time to go away up the mountain kind of thing and just occasionally come down to the village, but then you leave again. And that really resonates with me as, as a, a kind of a metaphor archetype because I, I like to dip in and out. You know, I, I have my good friends. I like, um, you know, I like deeper conversation and where am I going with this? But, you know, like, but ultimately I do like my own space. I like to get lost in my own world and so it's almost like I was just creating some kind of weird artificial resistance in my life by yeah. thinking I needed to be something I wasn't yeah and again that's I think that's part of that template thing is especially when we're growing up you know we don't have any blueprint for being ourselves because it's just that it's just our life Mm -hmm. So then you're looking to others who seem to have vaguely got their shit together or who seem to be having more fun than you are and you go well i'll do that then even if it's the antithesis of of who you are deep inside i think it's just normal because we're just searching for a group a pattern or something to like you said to make meaning out of these things definitely that and the biggest antagonism comes not from whether you are in the cool club or whether you're not in the cool club the antagonism comes from denying who you are because yeah. if you want to be in the cool club amazing and you're well into it great go for it have an amazing time yeah but if you don't want to be in the cool club but you're saying that you do want to be in it like that's where the 
Let's yeah exactly right. that's what I was trying to highlight and I think we do we do that a lot growing up and I don't know about you for, but for me I guess for me in my 30s that's what I'm kind of letting go of and just kind of embracing more of who I am mm. now whereas the 20s you're just I don't know it was messy 20s were messy <laughs> you're finding so much stuff out I think I definitely felt when I turned 30 everyone's like oh 30 you know it's really great and they never kind of could put the finger on it and I just remember waking up and <laughs> almost being like I just remember waking up and being like I just do not give a fuck what anyone else thinks and it was almost like this line that when I just don't care I do not care anymore about what other people think of me because I've just spent 20 years I've spent, I've spent no sorry I've spent 30 years just spent 30 years, three decades worrying about that. So now I'm going to just worry about me for a bit. And I think there's a big, I really think 30, especially for women or people who've been brought up as women or femme presenting people, 30 is like a big, do you know what? I'm done with that. And I think it's really, really powerful. I think it's a really powerful age. I think you're lucky you got there at 30. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> a lot of the women I work with, it's kind of 40. I talk more about like, fuck it, 40, because it's almost like I have been doing this a long time and I'm ready to just let go of this all now. It's enough with the people pleasing, enough with the yeah. doubting yourself, the questioning. It's just like, come on, let's, let's live. Because, yeah. yeah you I know, so much time's left, right? Like, you have, it, yeah. now now and that again that's why I'm so passionate about the mental health the well-being the kind of um permission to show up as who you are because like how much time have we got here like all that energy spent questioning yourself doubting yourself like could just be spent elsewhere doing anything else yeah I, I have been told that I'm a bit of a like early I've come to some of these things earlier but I, I personally think that's because of some of the like um, trauma that I went mm-hmm. through that essentially forced me very quickly to kind of have to go through a series of either quite unpleasant events and life changes or I had to, I had to have a lot of therapy quite a lot earlier because I just was so, to be honest, completely messed up. Um, so I think then that kind of let the, let it be a bit freer so that I could look at that stuff. Whereas I know a lot of people don't end up kind of having therapeutic or kind of healing modalities until they're in the thirties, which then opens it up for them to kind of explore it or kind of, cause they've done the healing. Um, but I, yeah, it just was whatever, whatever age it is, I think there's an amazing bit where you just go, nope. And it's really powerful. Like this really sort of powerful I'm not interested and it doesn't make it easy. There's still days where I'm like, nobody loves me, but I'm much more in, this sounds kind of strange, but I'm much more interested in myself and how I'm experiencing things and what I want to do in the world than I used to be knowing that it helps others Mm -hmm. rather than feeling like, Oh, I can't think about that. or I don't want to think about what I'm thinking about because it feels, you know, selfish or whatever. So, yeah. And in your time kind of doing art, which I guess is most of your life, um, have you experienced comparison? Has that ever been a thing for you or have you always just embraced your work and never really thought about it? 
it's funny you mentioned that when i was at school i had my best friend was called angela we both did art and angela's art was just we were just totally different people so she had this very beautiful kind of color matching and very kind of delicate sort of intricate you know detailed work and i was like working on these massive six foot high kind of boards just bits of wood like with pastel and oil and very very exuberant but i remember being that age and kind of feeling that this i just loved what she was doing and that there was definitely a feeling of i would love to be able to do that and sometimes you know as i've gone through my life there's times in terms of very sort of traditional art practice where i've thought oh you know i would love to be a bit more skilled or i'd love to kind of have that but in terms of what i make I never feel like sometimes you just know that someone else's work is better because it's literally technically better. So, you know, I do a lot of dressmaking and there's some various Instagram bloggers that I follow and I'm like, their work is technically brilliant, but I've never tried to be technically brilliant. I've never tried to be photorealistic. I've never tried to be those things. I've always just, for me, art is an expression. So I don't feel comparison in a way because of that, because no one else will be feeling exactly what I'm feeling in this moment when I make this artwork. Therefore, what, it's like what, there's nothing to compare it to. And I think there's times when I'm, you know, I've done something and I think, oh, that's not good. But what I'm really saying is this isn't accurately reflecting my expression. Mm-hmm. And my, my assumption is that other people are creating artwork that has their expression. So I might like it, I might not like it, but oh, Emily, it's there. I'm not going to judge them on how they feel. So I'm not going to judge them on their artwork. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that sounds, I do feel comparison in other areas of my life for sure. But I know that's my ego basically going, I want to be successful and loads of money and famous, and, uh, you know, because our egos do that. Um, how do you handle it when that comes up because i know there'll be listeners being like yeah me too yeah so i get a lot of like (laughs) you know not not i wouldn't go so far as like hate following but you know like jealousy stalking (laughs) on instagram on linkedin and sometimes i do it and i convince myself that i'm like doing competitor analysis (laughs) that's quite a funny one but the way that i try and deal with it is I sometimes just let myself feel that I will always let myself feel the feeling and working with my therapist has been amazing about the subject of jealousy to say, you know, if you're feeling jealous, you want something that they've got. And actually that's really helped because when I've seen someone say doing an amazing conference and I've been jealous, it's helped me go, what's the actual jealousy? It's because mm-hmm. I want to be in front of people. I want to be sharing my message. Yeah. So how am I going to go away and do that? So there's a bit of like letting yourself be jealous and using that, using that emotion as information. Yeah. And then also I think, you know, I look, there's this guy called Krishna Das who I really like. He does these amazing, he's got loads of amazing workshops, uh, like playlists on Spotify. And he talks about, you know, how he's a very enlightened guy now. He doesn't say that, but he kind of is. But he says, you know, sometimes I just like having a mope. 
you know, I like just moping around the house. I think it's all right to sometimes just feel, oh, it's, you know, it's, I'm re it's really rubbish. Like they've got all that stuff and I haven't. Because it's when we resist that and when we pretend we don't feel it, that's when things start to get a bit messy. If we, if we say, oh no, everything's fine. And then you end up pushing yourself. So I think letting yourself feel a feeling. And then my other thing that I've started doing, which is if I feel in any way negative about the work that I'm doing, which may come from a jealousy place or it may come from just a, you know, a bad day. I just do one thing, one positive thing to move my work forward. So email someone or message someone or post or organize something or normally it's about um, actually sending it to someone. So saying like, look at it. Um, and I found that to be really helpful. You don't have to do a lot, just one thing. Because if even when you're in your worst mood, you can still take positive action on the things you want to achieve. Yeah. It just helps you feel that you can kind of do anything. Back to the small steps as well, isn't it? Yeah, just just send it to someone or whatever. So yeah, I, I let myself feel that jealousy <laughs> sometimes in quite like sort of tantrumy ways. I don't mind. And then I just try and do something to say, well, look, if actually I do want to, I don't know, be a speaker at an event, let's find someone. Let's let me let me email someone saying, can I be on your podcast? Yeah, and just do, you know, almost like do the opposite. Do the opposite of what you're feeling and just go and try it out yeah uh, so it is hard but i love that this topic came up because someone posted about this on linkedin today about how you know um i think she was at a dinner party with friends who were talking about their moved like recent move to scotland and how she was listening and feeling really jealous about this ideal idyllic place that they were living and then cue her then deciding to up sticks and move to Scotland where she now lives in her dream house and I think you know it can act as a real compass when we actually take those feelings of jealousy and go actually okay well, so what what desire is it pointing to what wish um and like you say like if you're like oh they they've just released a book it's just like well do you want to write like what is the thing is it the book that's making you feel jealous is it the attention like if what what is it specifically about this situation that is giving that you know feeling and you know a big thing that i i, I think this might resonate with the listeners but a big thing that i've realized is actually what i'm jealous of is not the book or the conference or the house in scotland mm -hmm. It's that someone has gone out there and they've done it. Yeah. And then they're telling people about it. That's mm -hmm. that really, I definitely know that's a trigger for me is feeling that these people are just going, look at all the great stuff I'm doing. And that is where I'm, the, the jealousy lies is actually whatever it is within them that they feel capable in that moment of kind of broadcasting to the world how awesome they are. And I don't. So that then is really good because then you go, that is the thing to work on, not the book or the conference or the house. It's actually, why don't I feel willing or able to tell people about everything that I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Because that's really the way that you get more stuff is by people knowing what you're doing. Yeah, but so we don't want to show off. <laughs> you don't want to show off or you don't want to, I don't know, you're tired or like you don't know what to say or, or a million other reasons. But that, Oh, actually, that's what I'm jealous of. I want to tell people. I want to spread the, I keep saying spread the good news, which makes me <laughs> sound like very religious. <laughs> no, it's like but start you know spreading I mean? the news. 
spread the news about whatever it is that yeah. you care about, you're passionate about, and you want to do it in a positive way. Then you go, right, how do I do that? How do yeah. I work on that thing? Yeah. No, that's a good, and I think it's about flipping, flipping things on its head as well, because I think for those people listening with businesses, there is this set, like marketing is selling, and I know that there are reframes, like you can think about marketing as storytelling, and I liked how Nicola Ray Wickham has talked about it being, like you're inspiring someone to make a decision. I really like this idea. Um, but I think for many of us, when we think about marketing, we just feel like we're just, I don't know, almost dem not demanding of people, but it's just like, please buy this thing. Even though, obviously, when you connect in and go, why am I creating this thing? This thing is really useful for people. This, this thing will help people feel better or be more creative, whatever it is. We get hung up on us mm -hmm. and we start trying to mind read like what people think of us rather than going oh my god i've got this amazing new thing like if it were a product like a handbag that we really loved it would be much easier to sell because we're like come look at this handbag if you don't like it that's fine if you do buy it but when when suddenly our creativity or our i don't know life lessons whatever is is in that product and it's more like a service then it gets all murky yeah and the you know i think it comes back to that our fear of being disliked is greater for some of us than any other fear mm -hmm. and that stops us i think there's a there's quite a as someone who has been you know i'm not i have i have learned the art of compromise late in life let's say that and i had you know i was quite a sort of um i've got a big personality and a lot of people don't like it and that's not because they don't like me it's because of how they feel and and sometimes i've just you know we all act poorly in our past right we've all got <laughs> some terrible behaviors but because of the kind of intuitive thing i'm like actually i think that person doesn't like me i think we need to get used to the idea of someone not liking us mm -hmm. and like life goes on i've worked with people where we don't like each other and actually we make a great team in terms of actually doing the work we're just never going to hang out mm -hmm. and i think we we almost need to realize that probably people don't like us there's probably someone in your life in the peripheries of your life who just thinks oh god that person's a fucking idiot and that's totally okay and get comfortable with that idea of not everyone's going to like this mm -hmm. and actually probably people don't already like it and they don't probably they don't like me because i don't know if you talk about your emotions does that mean they have to talk about theirs or if you bring this up does it show this do they feel jealous whatever so i think there's a bit of that but there's also a bit of I remember I had a session with a coach once and she was pretty like, she did a lot of coaching with young people, which I really valued because she was very straight, like straight talking because, you know, kids, they don't have all that other nonsense that we have. And we were talking about writing a book or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I'm not sure. And she said, well, do you not think it's selfish to not share this message with people? I thought I just remember being like floored by how almost like painful that was to realize that I was more interested in protecting my fragile 
sense of being amazing and loved and like being this fucking queen of the world <laughs> yeah. i was more interested in that than i was in actually helping people mm-hmm. and that was really that was pretty dark you know it's a dark experience but i think that's important to say what are you kind of by not doing this by holding back yeah who, who are you serving more you or the people who actually could really benefit from what you're doing yeah and that you know if you want your stuff to be out there you, you're gonna have to sell it and that's okay like people people love being sold to if it's something they want yes oh my you, goodness no one yes. ever, oh my no, god no one ever complains <laughs> that all of the adverts that get complaints or that when we complain about adverts it's not stuff we really want it's stuff no. that like that's irrelevant so actually if you know this person that really wants your stuff they're not going to be pissed off. They're going to be, they're going to be like, yes, this is amazing. This is actually what I wanted. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of, um, yeah, no one ever, no one ever complains about advertising and marketing for stuff that is really meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And from work, <laughs> to be fair, from working in marketing agencies, you know, as I think when it's an individual, you think that everyone's seeing everything. Yeah, they're not working in marketing agencies. They're not. Like they're seeing such a tiny, tiny percentage and they're not remembering it. Yeah. And they've got like a thousand other things to do. And you know, you're not annoying anyone by repeating yourself because actually they've probably forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people I've had people see like every single message that I've done and signed up for something or emailed me and then they've gone, Oh sorry, what 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 am I doing again? And they've forgotten just in the space of like all of that time, you know. Yeah. Just forget. So there's a bit of kind of I think just letting go like you said, letting go of the focus on yourself. Yeah, and remembering I don't know, that your ripple effect matters. You never know that one person who might see a picture or read read a line or just your family member that might hear you talking about your dreams or your latest creative endeavors like it doesn't have to be like showing up and serving the world in this massive way it really can be for the kind of people around you your community whoever um but mainly i think also it is about showing up for yourself and your dreams always have this this thought like the worst thing you could that could happen is just have this bag of broken dreams at the end of your life that you've just not you've not um given an opportunity i'm sorry <laughs> like, when i think about that i'm like Ugh. just fills me with you know my whole a big thing a big aspect of my i think purpose on the planet is about potential and not necessarily fulfilling potential but showcasing it and bringing it mm-hmm. out and just moving towards some sort of like knowing that it's ever it's infinite yeah and yeah that idea of it's kind of like actively saying no to your dream like that's what you're doing that's kind of insane yeah or saying you're not good enough you're you know as a as my dreams you're not good enough you're not your work you're worthless you know and it's kind of all those horrible things we might have said to ourselves or still say to ourselves at times and it's like placing those on these these kind of beautiful things that are there for a reason i mean i didn't mean to kind of end that conversation on such a negative note but um but i was gonna say this this is why i think for both of us like talking about that potential piece is why kind of nature as a metaphor is so 
um, powerful because you think of like, I always talk about planting seeds and you give time to it, you give attention. You know, some seeds will flourish, some seeds might not and that's okay, but you just plant the seeds and you, you, you see what happens. But the main thing is you're, you're, you're actively cultivating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was thinking then as well, it's, how, it's uh, one of the reasons why I love art is because an artist, something doesn't exist and they want it to exist so they bring it to life yeah and then their work whether they continue to do things with it the thing that they their dream is almost complete mm -hmm. you know it's done there's very few artists i would say whose dream is about i'm going to be in this gallery actually the dream is i'm going to make the work yeah and then we're going to we're going to keep making some work and then I'm going to make some work over there and then I'm going to send that work to somebody. But the dream is in the work. And I think there's a really powerful idea of, as you say there, yes, planting the seed, but also knowing that there's joy simply in planting the seed. Yeah. And just the garden, the tending as yeah. well. Just the... There's no need for it to be like a prize winning. No. Cucumber. It's kind of, again, back to that point of enjoying this moment. Mm -hmm. and enjoying the act of creation simply because it, like just isn't it amazing that humans have evolved to the point where we can create concepts and things from nothing from just nothing we can make we can bring new things into the world we can invent stuff like the car or mm -hmm. i don't know acrylic nails or hats or whatever like we can invent stuff I think there's a real joy in just, you know, if you've got a great idea for a program, if you've got a great idea for an artwork or a dinner that you want to cook for your family, just do it. Just make it because you will <laughs> love doing it so much. If they don't eat it, they don't eat it. It's their fault. It's their problem. But you've done the bit. You've done the joyful, creative act and brought the thing into the world that was your dream. So it's kind <laughs> of, there's a bit of that just birthing yeah just for the joy of of creating i think and that is an important point i think for the listeners because i think often i hear people say well i'm not really that creative and i'm like if you love cooking that's creative that's bringing something to life that's full of ideas and pairing of flavors and all the different things that cooks do i'm not a cook <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's so many different ways to create it isn't just yeah. about pen and paper or art in the Kind of traditional sense yeah i think creation is something from nothing yeah and i i tend so, to now describe my art practice as encompassing everything that i do <laughs> what i wear how i speak my teaching how i decorate my house what i eat how i with the music i listen to the courses i create my my actual artworks because actually this is all an act of creation i'm creating this life and why not have it in this very expansive way? I think it, even if you're kind of like, that sounds a bit bonkers, why not try it? Because actually it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's very important, you know, not forgetting the fun. I Definitely. Say. I would say so. Okay. So I'm going to go on and ask you the questions I ask everyone. Okay. What are you most grateful for right now? This water. Okay. <laughs> because I'm really thirsty. Thursday. Sorry, sometimes I say that as a joke. I'm really Thursday. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm really grateful for this water because 
it just makes a massive difference if you're hydrated. No, it really does. I read a post <laughs> again. <laughs> no, I read a post the other day that's like if you're, I don't know, even one or two percent dehydrated, it has a massive impact on your yeah, like, ability yeah. to think. Yeah, and there's like a, the same with sleep. If you get less than what is it, six hours sleep a night, it's like 0.3% blood alcohol, like the same, something like that, like the same results. So hydrating. <laughs> Gary Gorman, who's a comedian, has got this really great bit about how why millennials are all so nice to each other. And he said, because they're so hydrated all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they're just operating at like peak effectiveness. And what is one of your favourite ways to practice self-care besides drinking water and sleeping? Um, I love, I'm getting really into or re-getting into astrology. Mm-hmm. So I love um, doing kind of having these moments around the different astrological seasons and the planetary movements where I have like a reflection or I have a bath. Um, I use this, there's a great business uh, in the US called Spirit Daughter. Mm -hmm. You have these moon workbooks you can download with like crystals, yoga, meditation stuff and reflective prompts. And I just love doing that as like a kind of um, discreet practice. So that's one of my favourite forms of self-care. It's like that, to your point before, that pause. Mm-hmm. But I love tying it. Sorry. I love tying it to something. It's really useful for me to tie it to something that's happening right now. So if it's like, right, it's a new moon tonight. It's not yes. happening tomorrow. You've got to do it tonight. It kind of just pushes me into actually doing it, which is great. Yeah. And it is a new moon tonight. It is. Um, hence me I'm gonna go and be doing my workbook <laughs> yes and <laughs> um, who is inspiring you right now oh wow do you know what? I'm gonna say my sister yeah because she is helping me with the launch of my course and she is helping me by doing the bits that I do not have the patience or mine to do but she is really really good at so some of the organizing customer service um and just also like she's great you know she's known me her whole life and so she kind of understands what I'm trying to say when I'm off here in like my magical mystical witch world yeah she's really great at translating that for people who are not in that world and so I'm really kind of her skill in that is really inspiring me and her speed at doing it and just kind of oh I've done this is this all right I'm like it's amazing um so Mm. yeah she's really really inspiring me thank you uh tell us about a book that's transformed your life oh bloody hell the one I always talk about although there are many others that I always talk about is women who run with the wolves yeah which I'm sure has been mentioned loads of times on the podcast and that was really transformative for me as someone who was born and kind of um, was identified as a woman and then probably like two years ago I recognized that I was non-binary but before that that book was really pivotal in helping me deal with um, sexual trauma that I'd experienced and in particular the relationship of that sexual trauma to my other relationships, my family relationships, professional, the the next relationship I was in. And because of the way that it's written around mythologies and stories, 
it was a really kind of vivid and visceral way to process some of that stuff. It was a hard book to read. It was hard. Um, but that's really, I see it as a very kind of transformative book. I don't know if I'll ever read it again. And I think there's something, sometimes there's books that you just read over and over and over and every time it's like a new book. And then I think there's sometimes books that just are there. You just need it in that moment mm-hmm. of your life. And then it's kind of, it's the medicine. Yeah. You need right then and then it, and then it's done. But yeah, that's been a, by Clarissa Pinkola-Ristes. Was, um, I think everyone should have a copy of it. And then when they're ready, they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm ready. And they'll just know that it calls to them and then that will be the right time. Yeah. I think I always like the, the kind of saying, reason, season or a lifetime. Say that again. Reason, reason, a season or a lifetime, like things coming into your life. Oh, I like, I've not heard that. I love that. Um, so yeah, and then finally, if you could tell the listeners one thing, what would it be? I would tell them that they are much more amazing than they think they are and there are people looking at them right now going wow that person is absolute they're amazing look at all the stuff they're doing look at them they're just fabulous and you know if you can see that person in the mirror i think that's when things start to change it's kind of letting yourself see yourself as others see you as Mm -hmm. this amazing kind of uh, magnificent individual thank you and then before you go what are you currently working on and how can listeners find out more about you and your work okay cool well you can find out more about me and my work by visiting my website which is www.elenasnare.com or i'm on linkedin as elena snare and on instagram as elena snare apparently there's <laughs> no others in the world um there must be somewhere and yeah that's where you can find out more about me and sort of see my musings and then the project that i'm working on at the moment is as of well next week which is the 26th of august my very first ever online course launches called root and branch which is a 12-week audio art course for aspiring artist leaders and i'm very excited about it and i think it's one of those examples of I'm going to do this and some people aren't going to get it. And the people who are going to get it are just going to think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's 12 weeks of audio lessons that you download that you can listen to as you walk out in nature and spend time around trees. And it's a guide to understand how trees can teach us about leadership skills within ourselves, mm-hmm. accompanied by art prompts to make art for three months and journaling prompts and a whole, I think there's um, like 60 curated resources that I've put together kind of all over the web, including some amazing work from Lisa is in the call. Um, And yeah, opens on the 26th. And then there's a free quarterly chronicle, which is an art making challenge on the 1st to 3rd of September and a live lesson at the end of October. So you can find that out on the website as well. Uh, or you can go to elinasnare.com forward slash root hyphen and hyphen branch. And are you going to be having different um, intake kind of periods or will it just be open like once people are listening to this, if they listen, and it's to say it happens to be mid-September when they're listening. Open. 
once you sign up, it's paced for you over 12 weeks, but it's a rolling. So there isn't yeah. an individual thing, but the live lessons are included as part of the course. They're every quarter, every season, and they mm -hmm. will happen at a specific time live and be about the what the trees in that season can teach us about leadership and some art around that as well. So that's kind of like a great place to get together with people and maybe to start your journey around it if you want. It's a rolling rolling admission. Okay, thank you so much, Eleanor. It's been great to speak to you today. Oh, you're so welcome. I've really enjoyed it, Lisa. Thank you for listening to the Brave Hearts Rising podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating. And if you would like to receive my nourishing notes and reminders to be kind to yourself, as well as keep up to date with any future events and offerings, you can head over and sign up at www.lisapasco.com forward slash say hello. As always, remember to be kind to yourself and have a wonderful week. Bye.